Hi, my name's Tom, and I'm a Craigaholic. <laughs> I am hopelessly, perilously addicted to Craigslist. There is not one day in my life that goes by that I don't look at Craigslist. There are times when I'm supposed to be doing something else, and I will pull out my phone, and I will look this way, and I will look that way, and I will check Craigslist. I am a Craigaholic. I'm especially drawn to the farm and garden section. I just can't not look. What am I looking for, you wonder? What am I searching for? I'm looking for the deal. I'm looking for a tractor or a piece of farm machinery or something along that line that, that when I look at it, I think that's underpriced. I'm looking for something that I can get at or below the asking price and bring it home to myself and care for it. Mercifully, tenderly care for it. To redeem it. To condition it. And to put it back on Craigslist <laughs> to be placed into its new life. I have done this hundreds of times over the last 10 or 12 years. Tractors, farm machinery, four-wheelers, boats, snowmobiles, guitars. Just looking for the deal. I'm especially drawn to ads that include the phrase, as is. I love those ads. That the thing that they're offering is being offered in as-is condition. Now, you can probably sort out what that means, but you may or may not know that it's actually a legal term. As-is is a legal term used to disclaim implied warranties for an item being sold and it denotes that the seller is selling and the buyer is buying an item in whatever condition it presently exists, and that the buyer is accepting the item with all faults, whether or not immediately apparent. Got it? When something is being offered in as-is condition, it means the buyer is rolling the dice. And the buyer is accepting it without any implication of the seller standing behind it. They're saying, what you see is what you get. Once you load it on your trailer and give me the money, we're done. It's yours. It's yours to take into your loving care and to do whatever you like with it. That's as is condition. Typically, when I find an as is condition tractor, it looks something like this. Now do you understand as is? It's pretty rough, yes? 
Can you understand why the seller is going to say, no, it's, it's yours. Once you buy it, we're done. Can you understand that? This is what I'm looking for. Why am I looking? Why was I looking for that tractor? You got to ask yourself. Well, because I know something. I know something about that tractor. I know that that tractor, in the hands of the master, can become this tractor. That's my work. That's my work right there. That's my, that's my work. That's my 1956 Massey Ferguson TO35 tractor. Live power, live hydraulics. That's what I'm talking about. No power steering. That's my farm tractor from my little farm. I've plowed dirt with it. I've disked getting stuff ready to plant. I've moved snow with that tractor. I've graded the driveway. And my home group's saying, yeah, Tom, you need to do that again. Some of you recognize this tractor, don't you? Because you've been positioned on a hay wagon behind it, haven't you? Raise your hand if you've ever been on one of our hay Look at that. You say, I know that tractor. Yeah. You know, some of you maybe are pretty knowledgeable in 50s era's Massey Ferguson. And you're saying, isn't it supposed to look like that when you finish? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they said. When I goggled it, that's what I found. But I asked myself this question. Why would a person paint a tractor in two colors when they could use seven? <laughs> it's just so much more interesting to me. Plus, ain't no mistaking it's my tractor. Nobody's driving off with that tractor and getting away with it, are they? <laughs> That's what it's all about. I love to do this. I really do. It's, it's an incredible hobby of mine that I've done for years. And I just love finding the old thing, breaking it down to its frame, sometimes all the way to the crankshaft, and working my way back out. And I do that because of this. That something that's found in as-is condition in the hands of the master can become a new creation. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God finds us in as-is condition, takes us as we are, no implied warranties, with all of our faults, and the Bible says he makes us into a new creation. The Bible says if any man slash woman, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel. That he takes us as we are and he transforms us. That when we allow ourselves to be placed fully, squarely into the hands of the master... He takes us as we are, and he transforms us into a new creation. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is what God is doing in many of your lives. 
He's getting you ready for the farm. So lately I felt led to read through the Gospels with my as-is glasses on, and I noticed that I noticed the way that Jesus also seemed to shop for people the way I shop Craigslist. He was just looking, wasn't he? For the as-is kinds of people rather than the put-together and painted-up people. He seemed to prefer fishermen to Pharisees. He seemed to prefer prostitutes to professors. He was just drawn to the as-is. And it's a, it's a consistent pattern. It's not just something outside of his pattern. It's what he did. To date, I've den- identified 12 different people in the Gospels whom Jesus drew in, in their as-is condition, and now have places of greatness in the Scriptures and in the heritage of the church. Among the most obvious, perhaps, was one Simon Peter, as is. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. I suppose that there may be more known about Simon Peter than perhaps any of the other disciples. He shows up so much in the gospel narratives. He became the rock, the foundation upon which Jesus built his church. There's a place where Jesus looks at Peter, his name means rock, and says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You may or may not know that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, derives derives its its pope from a sense of of Peter in a thing called apostolic succession, that their belief is that that, that the, the, uh, the, the apostle Peter actually handed down a heritage through all the line of popes. This is where we find Peter. This is where, we, where he ended up, but it's not where Jesus found him, right? Peter, what was he doing again? Why was he fishing? Because he's a fisherman. That's it. An honorable profession, right? What's so as is about that? People need to eat, right? Fishing's a, a good thing. I was wondering if maybe, thinking about this this week, if maybe Peter was the founder of the Pescatarian Church. Christian, that was good. That was just for you, man. I was afraid you might be the only one in the room that gets it. That's a way homer for some of you. You know, it's an honorable profession. But as we look at this, we need to notice some things about Peter and look at his as-is condition. First of all, he was unselected. Peter was a fisherman for one reason. He was a fisherman because all the rabbis in town did not pick him. So the way it rolled in Peter's day was that rabbis, of course, lived in community with their people, and they would always have their eyes on the boys who seemed to excel, the smart ones. 
Remember when Jesus, when he was 12, was amazing the rabbis? Remember this, when he went to the temple? That's what was going on. These rabbis were looking him over. It was combine. And he was just looking. They were looking him over. And they were saying, this kid's great. This kid's amazing. Peter was never amazing. He was never amazing. He was unselected by the rabbis. And the rabbis would take the exceptional kids, the boys in, who had memorized vast amounts of the Torah, and they would take them into their tutelage, and they would train them to become rabbis. And that was what every mom wanted for her son. That was the thing. That was going pro. Well, Peter wasn't picked. How do we know that? Because he was a fisherman. Because anybody who wasn't selected by a rabbi, the lucky ones went into something called an apprenticeship. And it might have been a blacksmithing apprenticeship or butchering or tanning of hides. That's not just a phrase we use with our kids. All right? Making pottery or fishing. So they would work with an experienced person in this field and they would learn that trade. The unlucky ones, some of them would sell out their own people and would sign up to be a tax collector for the Romans. These were the options. Peter had not been selected. That's why he was fishing. He wasn't picked. Peter wasn't sitting around deciding which rabbi to follow. He was done. His lot in life was consigned to him. You're going to spend your life hauling in fish day after day after day. That's going to be the meaning of your life. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of not being picked. It's tough, isn't it? You try out for the school play, and you try out for the lead, and then it's posted, and you go, oh, I'm in the chorus. It, it hurts, doesn't it? You try out for the team, whatever sport. I got this, I got this, I got this. Oh, I didn't make it. Maybe you interviewed for a job. Oh my gosh, this job's going to be perfect for me. I can't wait to hear from them. The interview went so well. I'm sorry, we're going to go a different direction. Maybe you offered yourself up for a special relationship or even a marriage proposal and were turned down. You just have the experience of not being picked, of just being rejected. That's how we find Peter. He was unselected. He was also uneducated. The only hope for Peter to get an education was to have been selected by a rabbi. That was school. To come into the company of a rabbi and to learn. So at least in matters of faith, in, in these things that the community really considered to be important, Peter was uneducated. I, I, no, don't ask Peter. He's just a fisherman. Well, sure, he knows stuff about fishing, of course. He knows the trade, but he doesn't know important stuff. He's nobody you'd ask for advice. He's just a fisherman. It's kind of how he would 
think of himself. I'm just a, what are you asking me for? I'm just a fisherman. I don't know, maybe you're saying, I'm just a, whatever's in your blank. Nobody's special. I, uh, how could I have a place in God's plan? How could I even have a place in heaven? How could I be someone who God would select to be saved, to be born again? I'm just a, and then you just fill in the blank. Peter was also, he was unpredictable. You've been reading the Bible? This may have been his most obvious quality. He was unpredictable. So much of the biblical record of of Peter is about him doing um, impulsive things. When When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He yanks out his sword and he attacks one of the soldiers. He cuts off his ear, which is really cool, right? No, not the cutting off part. But that Jesus says, I got this. He he fixed the guy's ear. I mean, that's just Jesus, right? Come on, that's just Jesus. You want to know, you want to know why I think Peter cut off his ear? Because he missed his head. He missed his head. Peter impulsively, impetuously, instantly made a decision, I'm going to kill somebody. This is the unpredictable Peter. One day, Peter Peter told Jesus, Lord, I'll even die with you if I have to. The next day, he denied in public even knowing him. That's unpredictable. You never really knew which version of Peter was going to show up. This was the as-is condition in which Jesus found him. One more, I think we should note that Peter was an underachiever. You know, just a fisherman, not the highest achievement a person could attain in Peter's day. He was an underachiever. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Peter wasn't an underachiever because he was lazy. He was a hard worker. Fishing Fishing in that day, and, and commercial fishing in general anyway, that's hard work. I mean, a fisherman, he, he wasn't out on his pontoon boat watching his bobber, you know what I mean? He, this was different. He was out in these little perilous boats and throwing these enormous nets over the side. This, this was hard work, as, as it is today. You know, uh, Karen and I, we don't have cable at home, and so, you know, our TV options are pretty small, and, and so whenever we go somewhere and we wind up in a hotel, guess what I do, right? It's like, I've got 900 channels. This is fantastic. <laughs> I don't know how you guys who have 900 channels at home ever watch anything because I spend like three days just going through the list. Uh-huh, 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 yep. Over time, I have come to look for two shows. One is Swamp People. Oh, those guys are so cool, are they not? Come on. Oh, those guys are so cool. Catching those alligators, come on. Oh my gosh. And I can't believe I like it because I've noticed this about swamp people. It's the same scene over and over and over and just in a little different spot on the bayou, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, what are we going to do here, boy? He's got a big one there. You got a, oh, we got a big one here. Look at the way that's being pulled over there. Shoot him, shoot him, get him, get him, shoot him, shoot him, 
shoot him, you gotta get him. That ain't bad. Thank you. Be sure to tip your waitresses. But the other one is deadliest catch. Ooh, man. Those guys out there on the high seas catching swordfish, tuning stuff. That's, that's a different kind of fishing than I ever done, buddy. Man, oh, man. That's hard work. Peter's life was hard. Peter was a success, apparently a successful fisherman. <clears throat> he worked hard every day. And he wasn't an underachiever because he didn't work hard. Well, why wasn't he an underachiever? Here's my theory. I think he was an underachiever because Peter had no idea of the potential that lived inside of him. Peter did not see himself as a spiritual giant. Peter did not see himself as somebody who could affect the world. Peter had no idea what Jesus saw inside. You know, we, I read you that passage from Matthew about when Jesus called Peter. But there's something that happened before that if you blend the Gospels together. In John chapter 1, I think that illustrates this point. In John chapter 1, if you're going there in your Bibles, I don't hear any pages turning. I know, because I got my device. You can't hear that, right? Kids these days. John chapter 1, give you a chance to get there, verse 35. says, the next day John was there again. This is John the Baptist with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples, remember John's disciples, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. We got to go see what this is about. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi. That's what they thought was happening. He was a rabbi searching for an entourage. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Well, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Look what happens next, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two of the disciples of John the Baptist who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, that's Peter, and tell him, we found the Messiah, that's the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. That's what happened before the walking by the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine when Andrew came to Peter and said, you got to come. We found him. Can you imagine what went through Peter's mind? I'm a fisherman. I don't know anything. Nobody picks me. Nobody wants me. I'm just a fisherman. I don't, I'm un, uneducated. He, he must have asked the question, well, what would Jesus want with me? What would Jesus possibly want with me? I see so many people in the world asking that question. What would Jesus want with me? Why should that be an important question for me? Jesus found Peter in his as-is condition, unselected, uneducated, unpredictable, underachieving, and he looked at him and he said, perfect. This is exactly the guy I was looking for. To be the foundation 
of my church. Jesus looks at us in our as-is condition. Perfect. Perfect. I'll take you. I want you. Come, put yourself in my hands. Don't resist. Put yourself in my hands, the Lord says. Because in my hands, I can take you just as you are, and I can make you into a new creation. I can get you ready for the farm. He won't just use two colors. Jesus just said, perfect. What words would you use to describe your as-is condition? Go ahead. I, I, you know, just think about it. Don't say them out loud. That'd just be weird. Would you just think about the worst parts of yourself? We don't normally do that here, but just dial up. Your worst sins... Your inconsistencies, your doubts, the sin you committed that you can't seem to reconcile or the thing you said that you're unwilling to go back to that person and I want you to see yourself in your as-is condition. Now just close your eyes for a second. You're in your as-is condition. Everything that you're hiding on the inside is on the outside now. And I want you to envision Jesus coming up to you and saying, perfect. You're exactly who I was looking for. Because if we go back to this you look up on the screen, go back to this as-is definition. Legal term used to disclaim implied warranties for an item being sold. So when you're coming, you're saying, Lord, I'm coming, but I can't guarantee anything. I can't, I can't, I can't guarantee anything. There are no implied warranties when you buy me, Lord. When you purchase me on the cross, there were no implied warranties. And it denotes that the seller is selling and that you're saying, I'm just bringing myself. And the buyer, he's, he's receiving you in whatever condition it presently exists. Whatever condition. And that the buyer is accepting the item with all faults. Whether or not they are immediately apparent. This is the legal definition of as is. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who knows what I'm talking about? So with respect to Jesus, where are you today? Many of you are believers. Many of you have already come to that place of 
saying, I've, I've come into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I've come into relationship with the Father. My sins have been forgiven. The blood of Jesus is in me, and I'm forgiven. And so that's, that's fantastic. Many of you would say that. But I think there's still another question to ask. Have you sold out? Have you come to him in as-is condition? You say, I'm all, I'm all in. I'm all in. I, I'm not going to wait any longer till I can get that, that repetitive behavior fixed before I can really offer myself. I'm going to come to you as I am, with all my faults. Believers, that's the next step. If you're still sort of you one toe in the water, as Christian said, you know, if you're still just doing that thing because you're waiting to get this together, this doesn't begin to get together till you go in. Now, what about to anybody who's here today and you're saying, I don't even think I've, I'm in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I would not call myself a Christian. I, I don't have this thing that you're talking about. Then it's bring yourself as is. He says, perfect. I just hear the Lord saying, I'm so glad you're here. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God is in this room right now calling you. And some of you, your heart's pounding a little faster. You're beginning to experience thoughts and feelings. You're saying, what, what, what is that? Who's doing this to me? It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. Saying today is the day. It's not as mysterious as you thought, is it? Just come. Just pray. Lord, today is the day that I want to ask you into my life. Some of you I know are saying, how could God look at me that way? How could God look at me the way you say he looks at me? He says, perfect. Come on. Just making that up. How could God do that? And you're resisting the whole message from a point of logic that says, you, Tom, you don't know what you're saying when you say when you say as is right here you don't know what my as is is I was out on the wall this morning before church walking the wall and praying and I asked the Lord I said father I know people are going to be thinking that I know there are going to be people who are so close to coming to you but they're going to resist saying you don't understand how how can God see me the way you say he sees me? And I said, what shall I tell him, Lord? Here's the phrase the Holy Spirit brought thunderously to my heart. He said, tell them that I'm cross-eyed. Tell them that I don't look at anybody but that the cross stands between me and them. Tell them that I have the cross in my eyes. You heard of stars in your eyes? The Father says, tell them that I have the cross in my eyes, and whenever I look, 
I see them through the lens of the cross. <laughs> and he says, perfect. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to do something that's a little different than what we've done before. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer, one line at a time. I'm going to pray it aloud, of course, so you can hear it. And I'm going to ask any of you in this room, whether you're a believer or not a believer, that if you can agree with what I pray, that you pray it aloud also. Don't say it if you don't agree with it. But this prayer that I'm about to pray, pray is a prayer that is so appropriate for someone wanting to come to Christ for the first time. But it's also so appropriate for the renewal of the covenant of grace in each of our hearts as believers. So it's appropriate for all of us to pray this prayer. I'd like you to make words. Don't just think it, but to make words and pray it in unison. If you can agree with each of the lines that I pray. Dear God, I want to know you. I want to be your child. I want to have all my sins forgiven. I want to turn away from my sins. I want to live a new life. I want your son, Jesus Christ, to be my savior. I want your son, Jesus Christ, to direct my life. I want to trust Jesus as my savior and follow him as my Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. Could you please keep your heads bowed for just a moment? And I would just like, with all these heads bowed, to ask, for those of you who just prayed that prayer for the first time, you just asked Christ into your life. You need to know that. You just did it. And if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, with all these heads bowed, would you raise your hand? See those hands. Hold them up for a second. Yes. You can put your hands down. Now, also, if, if you're here today and you prayed through that prayer and uh, you really see it as a time of coming back to Jesus, you once walked with the Lord in some measure, but you've been away a long time and you just prayed that prayer as a way of coming back to Jesus. Would you also raise your hands? Okay, see that, see that. I see that, yeah, thank you. You can push your hands down, thank you. And here's what I'd like to do next. In just a moment, we're gonna start singing a song. When we start singing it, I want some of our prayer ministry people to go off to the sides, oh, to the sides, so you can pray for people who come. And you can come to them and receive prayer for anything. Some of you are believers who say, I, I want to I come all in. You just go to them. 
Some of you need healing. Some of you need blessing on your marriage, blessing on your finance. You need some blessing. You just need blessing. You just go up to them and they'll pray off to the sides. But I'm going to stand right here in the middle. And I want to ask, please, those of you who raised your hand, while this music is going on and while those people are being prayed for on the side, I just want to ask you who raised your hands, in either case, just to come up to me. Because I have, I just want to pray with you briefly. I want to show you something and I want to give you a book. It's a book called Start Here. It's a little paperback book and it's, it's just so important. It just talks about how to get going. And if you don't have a Bible, I want to give you a Bible. Maybe you already have one. That's fine. But while those people are off to the sides receiving prayer, I want to offer myself right here in the middle just only for those of you who raised your hands. Father, I thank you for your love and mercy in our lives. I thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that purifies us from every sin. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives large in us. I thank you for the word of God, the living, active, double-edged sword that comes and makes sense of our lives. And I thank you, God, for those who just invited Christ into their life. I thank you for those who just have made a firm decision to return to you. God, would you bless them in remarkable ways. And I just pray, Father, for this church as we move through this series of messages as is, that you would take us where we are and do your transformative work in us and make us into the new creation that brings you a most maximum kind of glory. Thank you, Father. We give you this time and we invite you to come and work among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, will you stand with me, please?